Good morning. My name is Jim Plaman. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Matthew. I'll be reading from chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your, your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I don't know if I was supposed to say thanks be to God or thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for having um, my family and I back. It's uh, wonderful to be here. Um, after last week's service, uh, Bryn said, our daughter Bryn said to us, normally I wouldn't be looking forward to church already, but now I'm looking forward to church already because they meet in a nature center. So... I think it's about time I need to remind my daughter that she has a church that she loves, and it's called First Presbyterian Oosburg. So, but, but you, you have captured her heart. So thank you all so much for being so open to us and for having us. It's a blessing to be here. Last week, um, we started a three-week series called God Never Said, and the point of this series is to kind of take some of these fragments of belief or some of these sayings that we've heard um, and to expose them as unbiblical, and then to correct our thinking into something that actually is biblical. And so last week we dealt with God never said, God will never give you more than you can handle. And this week we turn our attention to God never said the phrase, don't judge. Has anyone ever said don't judge in here or heard the phrase don't judge? Or anyone ever been like, you've been, you know, stop judging me or whatever? Yeah, this is, comes all the time. And the problem is, is that we say it a lot and it, we feel kind of good about it when we do say it. Or, but it's not really biblical. And I want to expose it as unbiblical and then correct it into something that is biblical. All right. And so I think we should just kind of begin with uh, uh, an intro video. So roll that video. Hey, Reese, what's wrong? Uh, it's just my friend. I'm worried about him. First, he took a Sharpie and put an F in front of the art room. Then he cheated on a kid's test. The third time, he took $50 from a kid's backpack. Then he put drugs into his backpack and took them. He's now in juvie, and he's even there in solitary confinement for assaulting an inmate. I guess I'm just worried about my friend, that's all. Well, you know, Reese, the Bible says, don't judge. Hey, you're right. Who am I to condemn my friend's stupid, life-destructing behavior? He's gonna be just fine. In this hypothetical situation, Reese's friend is on a path to self-destruction. And then his friend Megan says, well, you know what the Bible says? Don't judge, which the Bible doesn't say that. And then he goes, oh, yeah, right. Everything's great now, right? Like, no, your friend is still on a path to self-destruction. Don't judge really is empty and actually, I would argue, is actually harmful. And so what do we do with this phrase, don't judge? If we've all heard it, if we've all been exposed to it, like where does this come from? If it's not biblical, where does a phrase like don't judge come from? And I want to look at two origins today of the phrase don't judge. And I think the first origin is cultural relativism. Now, what in the world does those, that big phrase mean? What does cultural relativism mean? Well, at its core, cultural relativism means that truth is relative to the individual, all right? 
And so the idea of cultural relativism is that every single individual creates their own truth for themselves. All right, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and they used the phrase, your truth, on that podcast. And I'm just like, ugh. You ever heard the phrase, your truth? Who's heard your truth in here, right? The idea that you can have your own truth, and I can have my own truth. And then on top of that, because we each develop our own truths, we don't have the ability to judge one another's truth, because that's your truth, this is my truth, I'll just go my own way, you go your own way. There is no overarching umbrella, capital T, authoritative truth for everybody. Everyone just kind of creates their own reality and creates their own truth. This is what cultural relativism is. What I want to do is I want to show you, that was a teaser. I want to show you a video of Miley Cyrus, and I want you to listen to this interview, and I want you to see how only an environment like cultural relativism could have allowed for Miley Cyrus to say the types of things that she's saying. This is cultural relativism pushed to its logical conclusion. This is cultural relativism kind of pushed as far down the road as we can push it, all right? So go ahead and roll that video, guys. I'm weird because (laughs) of many reasons. I think I'm, hopefully this will become the new normal too. I think I'm weird because that I feel very like genderless. I feel ageless. I feel like I'm just uh, like spirit, soul, not even divided by human being or I treat the animals the same or hopefully treat the planet with as much respect as possible. So I feel very much like we're, there's no us and them. There's no me and you. I feel like I'm kind of just, I want to be everything and I want to be also kind of nothing. You know, I just want to be able to be myself. So, uh, the, the <laughs> right, right, exactly. The, Jimmy Fallon does it best. Jimmy Fallon, so, so, so is Jimmy. What, right? So many of you even said that, right? What is going on? What are you talking about, right? I mean, the amount of lunacy that she spews and then the, the interviewer sits there and nods his head as if she's saying something profound, right? Like crazy, right? You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. What you're saying right now does not make any sense and has no grounding whatsoever in reality, right? It is absolutely insane. Now, can you imagine, let's just play this out for a second. Can you imagine if uh, a Bible-believing Christian was the interviewer? Like, pretend, let's put ourselves in that spot of the interviewer on that couch. And can you imagine if, if, um, if we were friends with Miley Cyrus, so we had a, a, an ability to say this to her, and she said something like, well, I feel ageless and I feel genderless. And then we said, well, Miley, actually, the Lord created you as a woman. And you've been on this earth for 25 years. He's given you 25 years. This earth. You're not ageless. You're not genderless. You're a woman, and he's given you 25 years of your life. And then when she talks about not being divided by spirit, soul, or treating the animals the same, I say, well, the Lord created you in his image, and you are a crowning achievement of his. And so you're actually a human being whom he loves and has created to be a human being, an image himself, right? Now, could you imagine... If we were to say something like that to Miley and bring God's capital T authoritative truth into that interview, could you imagine the backlash that we would receive from culture? Immediately it would be, how dare you bring your religious bigotry into this interviewer, how, into this interview? How dare you assert your, you know, fundamentalist beliefs upon her? They would, they just say hate speech and move on, right? This is how we get a culture of relativism. This is what happens when everyone is allowed to create their own truth and where there's no overarching umbrella truth 
authoritative capital T truth that applies to everybody. This is cultural relativism pushed to its conclusion, and I think that this is one of the ways in which we get a phrase like don't judge is in an environment like cultural relativism, all right? I also think that we get, an envir- uh, we get a phrase like don't judge when we ignore the context of Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Okay, let's look at our text. Here's what happens, all right? We open up our Bible to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because we're just like, what is he saying in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Everyone wonders <laughs> what he's saying in there, right? And we turn to chapter 7. We read the words, do not judge, stop. And these are the three words that lodge themselves into our brains. And then we walk away going, oh, do not judge. The Bible says, do not judge. It's right there. Do not judge. But we have only read a segment of one verse that is in a context. We haven't even let Jesus finish his thought. I mean, I kind of feel like I, after watching it, Miley Cyrus, but Jesus is standing there. and He's going like, I, I, I had more to say, but you didn't let me say it, Right. So if we would continue to read, he would fill out the picture for us. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep reading. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, even if we don't get it yet at this point, we realize there's more. There's more than just do not judge. All right, so even if we're still confused, we know there's got to be more investigation into this. And I want to help us because I think Jesus really clarifies when he launches into his image. And what he's doing is he is painting a picture for us. All right. I remember when I was on the elementary school playground, I must have been pointing at someone because this little snotty girl comes up to me and she's like, every time you point at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And I'm just like, well, where'd you come from? Like, what'd I do to deserve this shabby treatment? Like, I'm just playing here, man. Like, leave me alone. What are you doing, you know? But I think in sort of a funny way, this trite saying that people say on elementary school playgrounds is sort of what Jesus is prompting us to think about, that there are three fingers pointing back at us, and before we extend the finger of judgment to somebody else, we ought to take that finger and point it upon ourselves and do some self-reflection and self-judging. It's really easy to point the finger of judgment at other people, but we need to take that finger, turn it upon ourselves, and do some self-judging, all right? That's what Jesus is saying, and he fills it out with his picture. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, right? First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you can actually see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. That's what he's saying here. And so the picture is this. It's almost a humorous image, right? Because how are we supposed to be able to see a speck in somebody's eye when we have a honking log in our own eye? That's kind of the funny image that Jesus is painting. It's ridiculous, right? That someone with a log in their own eye would be able to address the speck in their neighbor's eye. And so what Jesus is doing is he is inviting us, or not inviting, telling us to take that pointed finger of judgment and turn it upon ourselves and deal with ourselves first before we even give a thought to dealing with others. I like to listen to this guy, and he's kind of a lightning rod, all right, but I like to listen to him. And his name is Jordan Peterson, and he has, he's uh, the professor of clinical psychology at Toronto University, and he makes appearances in different podcasts, and I just think um, he's fascinating. Um, and, but it is an exercise in biblical worldview because he's not a Christ follower, and so I'm constantly sorting through that, and uh, I'm getting off topic. But I like listening to this guy, Jordan Peterson, and he has this thing that he says, and it's fix yourself before you fix the world. Address yourself 
before you worry about fixing the world. He is a professor, and so he gets a lot of college students, and I think he gets classrooms full of college students who are ready and excited to go out and change the world, right? And he gets students who are ready to be activists and ready to be advocates and ready to be a voice for the voiceless, and those aren't necessarily bad things, but the point is is that his students are ready to go out there and do all these things while remaining completely blind to all their own faults and their own issues, And Jordan Peterson is saying, before you go out there and be a firefighter, you got to worry about yourself and fix yourself. And actually, it's in becoming better people ourselves that we change the society out there. When we address ourselves first, we actually change the world out there because now we're filling the world with better people, more Christ-like people. I'm talking in secular terms right now, but he is a, you know, comes from a secular standpoint. That's what he's saying. But I feel like he's biblical. Another way he puts this is he came out with a book at the beginning of the year called 12 Rules for Life, and it's kind of like a self-help book. And um, one of the rules in the book is number six, and he says, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And I think this is that same point at play. Fix yourself before you worry about the world. Turn that pointed finger of judgment upon yourself before you extend it to somebody else, right? And so where do we get a phrase like, to, like do not judge if, if it's not biblical? Where does this phrase do not judge come from? Number one, I feel like it comes out of an environment of cultural relativism like we live in. And number two, I feel like we get there when we ignore the context of Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. So let's make some corrections, all right? Our phrase is do not judge, and I want to correct it into something that is biblical. So corrections. When I was in K through 8, uh, preschool through 8, I went to OCS, which was kind of like a correctional facility. It was like prison, all right? And they, mat- they, mas- they were masters of stealing joy from children, <laughs> And um, so, like, when I was in middle school, they had this thing. It was this one ray of hope. It was like work release at the end of the day. And um, it was intramurals at the end of the day. And if you didn't score well enough on your spelling test, you had to stay in to the English classroom and correct your spelling test, make corrections. And her standard must have been ridiculously high because I was not a, I mean, I was average, but I wasn't like bad, all right? And so, I mean, I, I, I bet three out of 10 wrong and you're in that room making corrections. And so every day, joy and wonderfulness is emanating from the gym and I'm in the English classroom making corrections on my spelling test. So we're going to go back, and so they managed to steal even that one ray of joy that OCS answered. So then I went to the public high school, and it was like I got out of jail. But anyway, um, we're going to make some corrections, all right? Let's make some corrections to don't judge. So let's get out our red pen, and I'm going to cross out the word don't. So we're left with the command to judge, because the Bible does assume that we will be judges and that we would be good judges, all right? I mean, look at John 7, 24. It says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. And so God wants us to be good judges who judge correctly according to his word. We are judging, all right? There is judging. And so how do we be good judges? We judge justly, we judge rightly, and we judge lovingly. How do we be good judges that God will be pleased with? We judge justly, we judge rightly, and we judge lovingly. What does it mean to judge justly? It means that we are fair, all right? We are predisposed in our sinfulness to see all of the faults of everyone else very clearly, while at the same time remaining very blind to our own faults and weaknesses and blind spots. Jesus says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? 
How can you say to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the honking log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. All right? We are already unfair in that in our sinfulness, we are predisposed to see everyone else's weaknesses at the expense of our own. All right? I'm going through... The past few months for me have kind of been, they've been wonderful and they've been awful because they've been a time of sort of self-discovery and I've been kind of coming to terms with how big of a piece of human garbage I really am. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm honest, right? Because you see the log in your eye. It's like, oh my gosh, I've had this log in my eye. And that's, it's horrible when you realize like how big of a piece of human garbage you are. And you, when you realize all your sinfulness and all your weaknesses and all your blind spots, but the wonderful redeeming fact about that is now we actually can see this log in our eye. And now that we can actually see it, we can appeal to God to help us remove that log from our eye. So it's a first step towards becoming more like Christ. All right. Why I'm reading, I'm reading, um, the Harry Potter series for the fifth time in my life or so, all right? I love this series. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Harry Potter, you like Harry Potter? So, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. all right. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Fail. All right, um, I'm rereading, and uh, there's these uh, Harry Potter's living relatives are called the, the Dursley family, and you, you hate them, all right? And one of the reasons why you hate the Dursleys is because they live to be the critics of everyone else. All right, like Aunt Petunia on the left there. She lives to criticize other people's flower gardens and she will make remarks about other people's decorations and how they've, you know, done up their house. And Uncle Vernon on the right uh, lives to criticize other people's driving and criticize how much people make in their jobs and he lives to criticize how they dress. And so they're, they're this extremely critical family but all the while they are completely blind to the fact that their son Dudley in the middle is a overweight and is a bully to every kid that he meets. They're completely blind to the fact that they treat Harry like less than human and they lock him away in his room, right? And so you hate them because they are critics of everybody else, but they're terrible people themselves, all right? They are terrible people themselves. They are genuinely unfair, right? They live into that predisposition in sin that we see everybody else's faults so clearly while remaining completely blind to our own faults. And so we judge justly when we are fair. And when we begin to turn the pointed finger upon ourselves and begin to examine the log in our own eye and realize we are fallen and sinful human beings. And I need the Lord's help to get rid of that sin in my life, right? That's how we judge justly. We judge justly being fair and we judge rightly. What does it mean to judge rightly? To judge rightly means that we apply the biblical test, that we take our biblical worldview lenses and look at everything in life through the Bible, the lens of the Bible. It means that we are constantly asking ourselves, is this God honoring or God dishonoring? That we are asking whether God would be pleased by this situation, whether God would be honored by what's being said, whether this is good in God's eyes or whether God is displeased or does not like what is being said or what I'm encountering right now, right? That's what it means to be a good judge, that we would take everything as judges and then render a judgment whether it's pleasing to God or not, all right? In fact, John encourages the church to constantly be on their guard and be testing whether this is biblical or not. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So to judge rightly means that we apply the biblical test, that we test the spirits. Here's where I think don't judge becomes so harmful. Because I imagine a future where my kids are in high school, and I I imagine this scenario where my daughter Bryn is listening to a classmate talk about her eating disorder. 
And can you imagine in that moment, if Bryn is hearing about this classmate's eating disorder, if the conclusion that she reaches in her mind is, oh, don't judge. Bible says don't judge. Like, who am I to render a judgment upon my classmate's eating disorder, right? So don't judge. Nobody gets better. Nothing gets better. If the conclusion is don't judge, her friend still has an eating disorder, and Bryn might even be open to an eating disorder herself because she said, oh, don't judge. Who am I to judge that? And I think about another scenario where Colin is in high school, and he's listening to his buddy talk about how he's become sexually active with his girlfriend. And can you imagine if Colin's conclusion at that point is, as he's hearing these stories, well, don't judge. Nothing gets any better. And he himself might be open to that in the future if he would ever have the opportunity for that. If he's not judging that, no, I want my kids to be judges. And I want them to say, that is God dishonoring. That is enslavement to sin. We need, we need to get help somehow. I want to see you helped, right? I want that judgment to happen, all right? And so we judge rightly when we apply the biblical test. We judge justly being fair. We judge rightly applying the biblical test. And we judge lovingly. What does it mean to judge lovingly? To judge lovingly means that we judge as a means to an end, and the end is godliness. And that we judge one another unto Christ-likeness. And that judging becomes an act of sanctification and becoming more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right? You have this image of the log in the eye and the speck in the other eye. To, to judge lovingly means that we turn the finger of judgment upon ourselves and we begin to examine the log in our own eye and realize that I can't even see the way to godliness because this sin is a roadblock on that road to godliness. And so if I'm going to be on this path toward godliness and becoming more like Christ and conforming to his image, I have to get rid of this log in my eye. I have to get rid of this sin. I have to submit it to the Lord so he can cut it away, help me remove that log, and now I can begin to see the path to godliness and become more like Christ. That's what it means to judge lovingly. When I was in high school, I was in a boy band. <laughs> it's, uh, it actually was a quartet, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> We were very boy bandy. Uh, this was the front of our CD. And um, I, I don't really like to tell people about this. I kind of rather forget this chapter of my life. But, um, but it is what got Morgan. No, I'm kidding. It didn't get her. It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was my role in the musical that got Morgan. Um, so anyway, the, uh, I was in this boy band, and we called ourselves Remnant. And, and we would go around, and we'd have some Christian repertoire, and we'd sing in different churches and sing for special music and stuff. And... Um, and I liked being with these guys, and I was friends with these guys because we all wanted godliness. I mean, we all were Christians, and we wanted to live like Christ. And, and we had a senior who was kind of like the leader of our group, and then Pete and I were juniors, and then we had another friend who was a sophomore. And so the background to this is that Oostburg is a drinking town, all right? And there's this... Uh, I'm glad Bryn's not here because she yelled at me. It's a stupid thing, all right? One time I was said the word stupid from the pulpit, and she yelled. She's like, Dad! Like from her seat in church. Like, don't say stupid! Anyway, but it's stupid. That's the best word for it. It's stupid and evil. They have this tradition where someone will throw a drinking party for the graduates the same day, the night after the graduation ceremony. And they'll take the keys from the graduates so that they can, you know, drink safely and then stay overnight and all this stuff. And then, and it's usually some, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it, it's mean, but like some loser family that like does this. And I say loser because that's a loser choice to make, right? To put yourself in that position. All right. And so this is a, a thing. And I remember Pete and I, my, the, my fellow who was in my class, we found out that um, after our friend had graduated, he went to his part, his drinking party. His class is drinking party. Morgan didn't go. That's why I married her. <laughs> uh, no, okay. but she didn't. But our friend did. And I remember we were in the car with him. I know for sure it was Pete and I and, and our friend. And I remember we said to him, we said, 
you know, what were you thinking? Like, that was so stupid. Like, why did you go? Like, we were mad. We were legit mad at him. And uh, we're saying to him, like, what do you, you know, you have not drank, drank one drop all high school. Neither have any of us. We've been, you know, like, godly. we wanted godliness. We've, like, sung in this quartet together. We, like, you know, we want to be solid believers in Christ, solid, solid followers of Christ. And so, like, what are you doing now? You're just going to, now that you're done with high school, you're just going to throw that all away and be like, oh, yeah, party scene, like, full embrace, you know? Like, what are you going to, like, why'd you do this? That was dumb. And, of course, he got all defensive, and he, at one point he even said, stop judging me. Like, who are you to judge me, you know? And now that I look back on that scenario, I mean, we, if, we probably could have done it with more tact, but I look back and my buddy Pete and I were judging our friend out of a love for him because we cared for him. And we were like, that was a dumb decision to make. And we want to see you become like Christ. And you just put a log in your eye by going and doing that, right? And what's funny is that, could you imagine if Pete and I had addressed our friend, but we were prolific partiers? <laughs> That'd mean nothing, right? If we were like, why'd you go to this party? He could just turn to us and say, well, you guys party all the time, so who are you to judge me? We'd be like, oh, fair point, right? But the point was is that we weren't partiers, and so we didn't have that log in our eye, and we could see clear enough to address the speck in our friend's eye. We wanted to see our friend, out of love for him, become more like Christ, and that's why we were judging him out of our love for him in that moment, all right? We, it, it's not don't judge, Don't judge is harmful, and don't judge doesn't solve anything. Don't judge doesn't make anybody more like Christ. In fact, it gives sin uh, freedom to do whatever it wants, all right? We judge, folks. We judge, and we, God wants us to be good judges, and we are good judges when we judge justly, being fair, and when we judge rightly, administering the biblical test, and when we judge lovingly unto Christ-likeness. That's when we live into what God wants for us. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray.